Welcome to the podcast from Stazza Stable, The Stable Master Speaks. My name is John Starrett, aka The Stable Master. And as regular listeners will know, this podcast is not scripted. There's no editing. The mistakes stay in. There's no sponsorship. There's no patrons. There's no advertising. No jingles, no jangles, no jiggery pokery, nothing. It's just hard hitting, fast talking, chit chat about training, and a few other bits and bobs. And as you all know, we give away the best prizes of any podcast on the planet, in fact, in the galaxy. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on rather than repeating it at the intro as I've been doing every podcast so far. I want to get stuck into the podcast as quickly as possible because I know you've been waiting a while for it. A lot of people have been messaging me, asking me when's the next podcast, etc. Well, as most of you know, uh, I've moved to Mauritius and that's a reason for the delay between the podcasts. It's been a little bit more hectic and complicated than I thought it might be, which is not surprising really because I didn't do any research. I just packed a suitcase and off I went, sort of thing, so like that. Um, but for this episode, what I'm going to do is have like a bit of a bridge from, you know, about four or five weeks ago into where we, where I am now and what's happening. And then that will feed nicely then into the following podcast, which will be in two weeks time, where we'll get back onto the pillars of the marathon. OK, I've got a lot of interesting stuff to tell you, and I think people will be intrigued by uh, the trip over here and what it's been like so far since I got here. Um, and of course, there we have two prizes of two weeks in Mauritius for two lucky listeners so just listening to the podcast there'll be a question at some point in it about uh something to do with the podcast and all you have to do is fire your answer in and uh the usual sort of platforms uh my email address that is stable no stazza stable 1965 at gmail.com whatsapp plus three five oh i don't even know what it is now because i've I forgot what the podcast number is now, not the podcast, my WhatsApp number. We'll come back to that in a minute. Plus 353-83043-5669. I promised you that the mistakes stay in. Okay, so you can contact me on WhatsApp. Um, you can get me through Strava, the Strava group, um, the Stable Master Speaks. Uh, put your answer in there. Um, just think, oh, and on Instagram too, Stazza underscore stable. Okay, it's been a while since I've done this, a bit rusty, as you can tell. But anyway, let's get stuck into things, all right? So, um, I don't know how long ago it was I decided I was going to come to Mauritius. Um, I was just looking at a few YouTube videos. And one of the great things about doing online coaching is obviously you can work from anywhere. And a lot of you have been following, you know, my, my travels and things and seeing where I'm working from and play, things like that as well. But I just had the opportunity to, to come out here for, from now to the end of November for the next six months. I'm popping back to Ireland at the end of November. Well, I'm going to Spain for the Valencia Marathon at the beginning of December, then back to Ireland for December, and then out to Kenya in January for the month of January, and then back out here to Mauritius, then probably for the better part of the year, and then before then I'll be heading back to Ireland. So um, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in the future, in future podcasts, just a little bit at a time. But so I made the decision to come out to Mauritius uh, with the go ahead from Jelly Baby. Uh, so but that's another long story as well. You know why why I'm heading out here and all that. But I'll reveal that slowly. I'll peel the onion slowly. Um, but w before we get going, I'll just anybody who's never read any of my stuff before, I plant little seeds. So listen carefully, okay? Because it's always part of a bigger picture. So it's not just like one episode and that's it. If you listen back in maybe like 20 episodes time, you'll see me planting seeds for everything as we go along. And uh, anybody that used to read the, what was I called? The the Running Master on boards.ie uh, will know uh, how true that is and uh, how devastating it can be to people who uh, 
have the pants pulled down on that one. So listen carefully to everything, okay? Right, so where are we? Okay, I'm in a place called Grand Bay or Grand Bay, spelt B-A-I-E, the, the, the bay part. And um, it's a, probably one of the busiest parts of the north, never eat shredded wheat, the northwest of the island and the best of the beaches, I think. And just generally the best, you know, that's why I picked the place to, the place to come to, depending on what you like, if you want solitude and mountains you can go to other places but this has got a bit of everything and it's easy to access all the other things so um i don't know how long i've been here now i got here on the first of january and so let's start with the arrival so yeah i arrived in the the airport i was i'd booked an airbnb for two weeks just a, an apartment in the center of grand bay uh, the reason for that was because i don't drive as many of you know i've failed my driving test three times i don't really like i've got no interest at all in driving so I needed to be close to everything central, you know, like supermarkets and restaurants and shops and things like that. And in Grand Bay, there's a place called Super U and it's a big, massive supermarket, probably one of the biggest supermarkets I've ever been in, actually. Uh, it's got everything. And there's a shopping mall all around it with clothes shops, sports shops, Apple, you know, iPhone, coffee shops, all that sort of stuff as well. Loads of restaurants. I mean, right next to the apartment where I'm staying, I mean, literally 30 metres away is the best patisserie on the whole island and it really is good you walk in there and the smell of bread and croissants and i mean there's a massive obviously french influence on the island and in that patisserie it just embodies everything so you, you walk in and you see some of the fanciest cakes i've ever seen in my life and uh, the staff are brilliant i don't know if anybody's ever seen um the fish videos where the guys all swap jobs and it's about a fish market and everyone's buzzing and stuff like that you walk in there and all of the staff are really happy and you know they're always chatting to you and things like that and you can tell they really enjoy their work and place as well so um and it's kind of um the antithesis of some of the things around it because it does exude the opulence and money that's around in mauritius as well because mauritius is a bit of a dichotomy in terms of that it's very affluent but very poor as well and we're going to come into that in a minute with a really well a couple of funny stories uh what have happened and that's what's kind of made me decide to do the podcast on this really because there's some interesting stuff but yeah so they've got this fantastic patisserie right almost next door to me and then there were other little eateries as well including the mcdonald's which is and the mcdonald's is going to be very important to listen in because again even though this is not scripted i have thought it through a little bit and uh, that'll make sense in a little while as well. <clears throat> My mission was not to go into McDonald's for the whole time that I was here, but I've let you know I succumbed twice um, and had, because I, I fell in love with the spicy chicken burger thing that they do before I came out here. So I've had a couple of those since I've been here, but on the whole, I've been good. Um, and then next to, door to where the supermarket is, there are all of these lovely little eateries, like like little Thai calves where they do the like green curry and red curry and things like that. And then you've got little Indian places where they do samosas, well, they call them samosa here, uh, and all sorts of like strange things that I've never had before. And then they've got little sort of Creole influence as well with like the noodles and chicken and stuff as well. And then you go, then you've got Burger King, KFC, that sort of stuff, Steers. And then there's lots of good Chinese restaurants and good Indian restaurants as well. And you come that sort of peel round from where I'm staying. And then if you imagine just like one of the typical big super uh, complexes in the UK, America or Ireland or Europe, it's a little bit like that. Uh, but as you, and I'm on sort of the left-hand side of it. And as you come down around past the supermarket, the, the, the restaurants are opposite me. And in the middle is all of the car parks. And then bang, smack in the middle, out on the main road, you've got the McDonald's. So everybody sort of kind of comes here to do their shopping. It's, you know, all the local people. 
the people on holiday as well come here to buy clothes and things like that. But then we come out of there and you're onto the main street. And if you turn right and walk down, I'm kind of like two minutes from the beach. So you walk down, as you're walking down, uh, you get lots of little restaurants and people selling vegetables and melons and stuff like that. And you hit the main road after, I don't know, we'll say probably 200 metres, 300 metres. And you can go left or you can go right. If you go right, you go towards, that's the road out to a place called Perry Bear, where it's just beautiful, little, beautiful beach, a little beach town there. I haven't been there yet, but I've watched lots of videos on it and a lot of people have told me about it. But that's the way I go walking in the morning. So I walk down to the Grand Bay Marina, where all these super yachts are. And then I walk along the beach, out along there, past some of the smaller beaches that I've taken some pictures of and posted on Strava. So you go out that way. I walk out for about half an hour to spin back round and come back round in again and get a cup of coffee. I do that pretty much every morning. And then if you go the other way, so as you come down to the main road and turn left, I've walked out that way as well. That's a road out to a place called Montchoisie, which has probably got the best beach on the island. It's I think it's about three kilometres long, just perfect tropical sandy beach and shallow water, crystal clear, all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's lots of restaurants and bars out along that way as well. And as you come out towards the end of Grand Bay, you kind of get the, the ghettos and some of the, the sort of, uh, I, I suppose the, the main sort of villas and things are on the side kind of where I'm living. And if you go out the other way, then it gets a little bit more local. And we'll talk about that because I've been out that way and had dinner a few times as well. So interesting too. In fact, I had dinner, was it two nights ago with a Mauritius middleweight boxing champion actually out there, out at his place. But we'll come back to that again in a second. So that's kind of give you a bit of an overview of what the place is like. So first day I arrived, um, I was met at the airport by the driver who works for the guy who owns the Airbnb, the apartment that I'd booked for two weeks. Um, simple apartment, well the, well, the driver met me um, and then it's about like a 45, 50 minute drive from the airport out to the apartment. And uh, come into the apartment, pretty straightforward, basic stuff, like one bedroom, one double bedroom. We've got everything that you need in there. Uh, bathroom with a shower, you know, all well equipped. And then like a living room, kitchen area, and then like a balcony where you can hang out your washing and things. But everything's here for a short term, long term stay. So I thought, OK, this is bang on. It's perfect. Seems pretty safe as well. And like I said, it's 50 metres away from everything. So all set up nicely. Uh, now, what I normally do whenever I go to a new place, the first thing is I'll go and look for a local bar restaurant and then go, go in and meet people and find out what the sketch is. Because I think it's important very quickly, especially if you're going to be somewhere for a long time, to get how the place works. And it's better to go and meet local people and find out. And, you know, you get a really good sense of how things work. So anyway, after I got showered and unpacked and everything, so I don't know, this was about four or five o'clock. I thought, OK, I was kind of hungry, even though I'd eaten on the plane and stuff. Uh, walked down and as I was walking down, I actually it was about half past five, six o'clock because so it was just getting a little bit dark. And the first thing as you come out of the uh, the supermarket complex area, the super mall, and you come out to the street, you are instantly hit by the other side of things, which is the poverty, because you get the usual thing with people begging for money and disabled people walking along with cups and then little old men and little old ladies sitting there begging with little jars and things. And then you get the, the guys, the hustlers who are walking along, you know, the hound, the hawkers, so to speak, uh, the druggies as well. Anyway, so I got stopped by this guy and he says, look, I'm not after any money. I was just wondering if you could buy some milk for my, my baby. I've got a baby at home. I thought, first day, yeah, go on then, let's get in there. So I went to this little corner shop and I said, yeah, get, get yourself some milk. And he he didn't go in, the, the, the guy in the shop got the milk for him. And the two biggest 
bags of milk I've ever seen in my life with loads of cigarettes <laughs> and a few other bits and bobs as well. So I got stung straight away. And uh, you'd think after all my years of traveling around Africa and everything that I would be used to this sort of stuff. But I'm a sucker for this sort of stuff. And, and I kind of smiled it off and thought, okay, lesson learned, be careful from now on. Anyway, it transpired later on. This guy is one of the local, like uh, the runners of druggies out on the street selling the drugs and stuff. I didn't know that at the time. I should have realised because he had the, all the typical sort of uh, look, you know, the really skinny look, uh, the eyes popping out of his head and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, whether he took milk home to the baby or he sold and got more money to somebody else and got money for some drugs, I don't know. But I've seen him nearly every day so far and he, he leaves me alone now. So, But anyway, what he did in fairness to him is I said to him, I'm looking for the B52 bar. Now, the B52 bar is right on the junction from the main road where you can go left to Montchoisy and right to Perivert. See, he was walking me along and then as we got there, just before the B52 bar on the left-hand side, he says, that's the sports bar. Well, I thought he said the sports bar, but he said the spot. So I thought, ah, sports bar, I'll go in there instead. And there's this big open place and it looked like pretty nice and that. So I thought I'll bang myself on into there and ensconce myself in there and see what it's about. Because I thought that might be better because I'd never seen anything on TripAdvisor about it, whereas B52 I'd read about. Anyway, so walks in, uh, place is kind of empty-ish. There's a guy sitting at the at the at the bar. It looks like a pirate. He's got a long. Anybody that I've put, put some pictures of him on uh, Strava, and I think maybe even on Instagram. No, not on Instagram yet. But uh, sitting at the bar, long straight hair, um, Creole-looking. Like I suppose uh, he's got missing teeth, and uh, smells like the half-empty bottle of rum, like a pirate really. Uh, I sit down. He says, "Where are you from?" I said, "Ireland." He says, "Shamrock Rovers." <laughs> I thought, brilliant. And I knew straight away what I was walking into. And he says, I'm the chef here in his English, sort of in his French English accent. And uh, I, I just knew like, <laughs> what was coming, to, what I'd let myself into, which is perfect. It's kind of what I went looking for anyway. And so I said to him, Do you want a beer? And he says, Yes. And uh, the owner of the bar was there, Vila. And I said, is he okay if he has a beer? And she said, she nodded reluctantly. <laughs> so, and then I had a local beer. The beer, local beer is called Phoenix, or it's one of the local beers. A little bit this podcast rising from the ashes. I had a, a Phoenix, quite a nice little beer as well. Not on draft, it was in the bottle. And anyway, so I sat there and then I ordered some food. I ordered a, I thought I'm going to go for something local that I've never had before. So I went for a thing called Chicken Salmi which Ali the Chin Smith has written about in the stable news. And it is quite possibly one of the nicest things that I've ever eaten. So this guy called Mackenzie, who was the pirate looking guy at the on the corner of the bar, and he's a chef there. He cooked it for me and it was beautiful. Really spicy, but layered with lots of different flavours as well, local flavours. So I really enjoyed that. That was really nice. And I got to know him and then a guy called Raman, who's the bar manager. Um, and from there, I started to learn quite a bit about the place. And I got a sense of that Mauritius is a little bit like Kenya, but like a posh version of it, Kenya, because you've got the, the real extremes of really super rich and then a lot of rich people and then sort of, I suppose, middle class people and honeymooners. And then there's a bit of a gap into the kind of lower middle class local and then into the, like the real poverty. So I knew that everything here is about the hustle from the super rich down to, you know, the super poor. So I knew I had to have some wits about me about a few things. And also you might hear some noise in the background because I'm near a uh, main road that comes out of the, the super mall place. So hopefully it doesn't uh, distract too much. Anyway, so I've got myself sorted out in there, found out a lot about the place and then 
got myself out walking. I had a first few days I went in there to have my dinner just to, again to uh, familiarise myself with everything and learn as much as I could about things because my plan was to get a villa within two weeks and I had a load of places all lined up to go and see but I was fast realising that that could be a big mistake you know to commit myself to something so suddenly you know maybe like to take a year at least before buying um, so I thought it might be prudent to maybe stay where I am however and this is one of the great things about life that I love is I was speaking to Mackenzie, the chef, the uh, the Johnny Depp. He thinks he looks like Captain Sparrow, whatever his name is, Johnny Depp, without teeth. <laughs> uh, and it's transpired, and transpired is the perfect word for this, because that before coming here, I was contacting you know the major estate agents, retail, you know, who rent out the properties and things, and one of them was Kezia, and his daughter owns Kezia. So, and he said to me, leave it, leave it all with me. I'll put you into my daughter. Her name's Quincy. So I had a chat with Quincy and things like that and t told her what I was wanting, you know, in terms of like a four bedroom villa with a pool and all this sort of stuff near the beach, and near all the supermarkets and things. And so left it there. But I was beginning to realise again about the hustle. So I thought to myself, I, you know, I better just slow down. I don't want to commit myself to anything. And then find out I'm going to have my pants pulled down and all my money off me and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, I thought, I'm just going to speak to the owner of the place where I am and see if I can extend the Airbnb thing. And that's what I've done. So I've decided to stay here in the apartment because it's perfectly positioned and just take my time. And then I'll, you know, when I'm ready, then and I know a little bit more about this place, Montsoisie, uh, Perry Bear, and a couple of the other places as well. You have to excuse my French pronunciation because I don't speak any French, even though I am learning Creole at the moment. So I thought that's all good. Anyway, a couple of quick things for you, which are really funny in the main thrust of the podcast this time. Um, where you get poverty, you obviously get desperation and you get the begging and prostitution and things like that. And they're a big problem and drugs. And they're all big problems in Mauritius, although they're not massively out in the front as you might think, you know, they're, they're kind of, a, it's a little bit more subtle, really, although it is there to, to see, but it doesn't really spoil the experience. Um, but anyway, one day I was walking back from my midday walk and my midday coffee, uh, and I was about 200 metres, 150 metres away from my apartment, and I got stopped in my tracks. So I looked up and there was this stunning looking, beautiful woman, like Creole looking woman, I thought, wow. And, but anyway, I'm like, I'm, I'm 150, so I just carried on walking. As I walked past, she says, bonjour, ça va? Now, I don't think ça va means, how are you? So I give it the old cheeky bonjour, like that, because you know, I'm a bit like Del Boy with my French enchanté and everything like that. I walk into the bar at night and things, or the restaurant, and I always say enchanté instead of hello, which is, how was it, bonjour or bonsoir in the evening. So I always say enchanté, and it makes them laugh, you know, because I'm a funny guy, or at least I think I am, with all my dad jokes, or granddad jokes, maybe. Um, so I said that and I just carried on walking. Anyway, I, I, I sent somebody behind me. I looked around and she was there like 10 metres behind me, following me. I thought, oh God, here we go. So I, I started walking a bit faster. And then I looked back and she was there still and she was waving at me and I pretended not to see her. I pretended I was looking beyond her and then carried on walking and I was getting closer and closer to the, where the block of apartments are. And it started turning into something out of Benny Hill. So I got like 10 metres away from the entrance to the apartment. Looked over and she was kind of like, breaking into a jog so I started sprinting ran into the apartment block and ran up and opened the padlock on the front gate closed it opened the door shut it closed all the blinds and just sat down and waited for a little while anyway about 15 minutes later I went out and had a little look on the balcony and she was out there waiting and so I was ducked down behind the balcony looking so I don't know she's probably up about 
in her early 20s and obviously it, you can tell what it was all about stuff like that so but that you know, it was really kind of although it was funny it was very sad as well you know to to think <laughs> you know so something like that was going to be happening or she thought it was it definitely wasn't going to be happening um but it was funny because it was like benny hill uh, you know I, I don't know if everybody's seen benny hill you know where the i think he chases the nurses and the nurses chase him so anyway i was telling jelly baby about it and she was laughing and she says those prostitutes work hard for their money if they have to go with somebody like you to get it so that was one of the first things and whilst it was kind of funny and it's a little bit sad as well it feeds into the next thing which was the major thing that's happened while we've been here excuse me while i just have a slip of my orange juice because i'm set, set and it's very humid at the moment okay so i went into the bar and i was telling the guys about this and uh i sound like i'm in the bar all the time i'm, I'm totally not i've actually been um working very hard since i got here um i pop out a couple of times a week just to go and get some dinner but i've, I've been cooking for myself i haven't been i've been hardly drinking at all since i got here so i've been very very good because i know i've got to keep focused and discipline with writing the book and getting everything done but anyway so i went to the bar told the lads about it and then they started telling me all the stories saying that you got to be careful of this careful of that and one of the things that i learned when working in management in the uk where i was a uh, area manager for fitness first is the person that comes gathering to you and telling you the tales is the person you've got to watch. That's the person who's going to be stealing from the tills and things like that from you. And straight away, this started happening more and more. I could see it with some of the staff. They were saying, oh, be careful of Mackenzie. He's an alcoholic. Be careful of this. Be careful of that. And then they start telling you their sob story and can you give me some money and everything like that. So everyone's on the hustle, a lot like Kenya. But they were telling me about the problems with prostitution and about HIV and AIDS and things and the young girls. And you get a lot of older tourists say like my age and stuff coming in from europe and the us and going with these young girls and things and stuff like that so you know it's interesting to learn about that and quite saddening as well but i suppose one of the things about comedy is it comedy comedy kind of like like the pathos and bathos it kind of stems from the seriousness of situations at times as well and and that was the the comedic part of it but under the undercurrent was sadness and that feeds perfectly into what I'm about to tell you now. So the lads were telling me that because the bar and the restaurant's been very quiet because it's winter here. It's 28 degrees every day, pretty much uh, mainly sunny. You get a couple of tropical showers every now and again. But it's, um, you know, it's perfect weather to come. But most of the tourists tend to come in sort of like December, January, February, March and April. But that's a cyclone season. But that's when it's hotter and um, more humid and you get... And the cyclones coming in and you have to you can sometimes you can be stuck in your apartment for a week when the cyclones come so really june july august september october november are actually the best months to be in mauritius it will heat up and get a little bit busier as we go along but it's still quite busy here in Grand bay as it as it stands at the moment but i was saying to them you know about it being quiet and they said about three or four weeks ago this Russian guy came in with about 10 bodyguards and they took over the whole bar and they had like pole dancers all naked dancing on the pool tables and things like that. And they were drinking vodka and whiskey and smashing glasses. And then they paid a whole load of money afterwards, you know, to take over the bar. And that this guy, he takes over the, the local nightclub. The, the bodyguards go in, they clear out the nightclub. He pays the owners of the nightclub to rent the nightclubs for the night or whatever and so on and so forth. So I thought, yeah, right. You know, I, I didn't believe it sort of thing. But... The, I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday night, I can't remember now. Um, I thought I'm going to go down there because the, the guy McKenzie makes the most exquisite calamari because, you know, most of the time when you go to a restaurant, you get calamari. It's like rubber. It's like frozen stuff. He does and he gets it in fresh and he does it with some lovely little spices as well to, to give it a, a cheeky little twist. 
So I thought, okay, I'm gonna go down and have a little bit of the old calamari and uh, one beer and then I'm gonna go home. So <laughs> I went down there and uh, there, there, there weren't that many people in the restaurant, a few people in the restaurant. And then, <laughs> then you're, you're all probably too young to remember the Russians are coming, uh, but it was a, something that was like, somebody got hypnotized many years ago on the television and something came out about some soldier was saying the Russians are coming and he got in trouble. But anyway, Mackenzie said to me, the Russians are coming. And I thought, what are you on about? And then I realised, then all of a sudden, there were five or six of these big BMW, you know, with the tinted windows. And then all, all the bodyguards got out and they're all kind of six foot six, sort of special forces, Russian sort of thing. You can just tell straight away, you know, the, the real deal they're carrying as well. Um, and I thought, okay, this could be interesting now. So I thought, I'm going to have to sit here and watch this. Then... The young fella, the Russian guy who who's, who took over the bar. Um, now, they said to me that it, there was a mixture. There was some rumours that it's Putin's son. And then some people said it was the son of the president of Belarus. And then um, somebody told me, no, no, he's actually the son of some oligarch who's like made a load of money from uh, oil and all that sort of stuff. And it, it transpires, to use that word again, that, that that seems to be the case or sort of mafiosa. Anyway, so... Uh, the lad arrives and he's absolutely wrecked, he's off his face. And he, this is a busy road that we're talking about now. So there's restaurants all the way along and bars. And he's wandering around in the middle of the road and the bodyguards are stopping the, the cars and things. And doing it all in really good fashion. Now I've sent the videos to some people and they've seen this. So, you know, they know that it's not BS that I'm talking about. And I might even put it up in, on Instagram as well because it's so funny. I've just got to get the time to do it and work out how to put it all together. But um, so the guy's there anyway. Uh, what he tends to do is he comes into the bar where I was to get his drink and stuff, and he's got this whole entourage with him as well on top of the um, the the bodyguards, you know, people who are filming him and his friends and things, and uh, and and gets all the drink from the bar. But then opposite, there's a, a little restaurant as well where they do this fantastic steak, and he always orders like steak from there. So he went across <laughs> he went across the road and ordered his steak. And then he got the tables from across the road and brought them across to our bar and set them on the street and you know, so on the main road and put them around and the bodyguards had sort of sheltered all around the uh, the tables to protect him from the, the cars coming down. And and it was madness. Uh, the guys were doing all sorts. Um, they, they were just, they weren't buying like a whiskey or a vodka. They were buying bottles of vodka from behind the bar, bottles of whiskey, bottles of Quantra, all sorts of things. Um, and then the just sort of just generally it was just mayhem. And then all of a sudden the guy gets up and, and I, I couldn't believe it because I saw it in both of his hands. He had two big wads of cash, massive wads of cash. And one wad was $100 bills and the other were 1,000 Mauritian rupees, which is the equivalent of like about 20 euros, somewhere around there. And he started throwing them out in the street. Now, along the street, people had gathered to watch what was going on. They'd come out their restaurants, the bars, out of their houses and the flats and things. And he was just throwing it out, out on the street. And it trans like I was going to say transpired, but I don't want to repeat myself. It turned out that he actually threw away 250,000 worth of like US dollars uh, between $100 bills and Mauritian money. And everybody was diving on the streets and grabbing this money and stuff. And <laughs> the traffic, the, the horns were peeping and everything. It was hilarious. At first, I didn't know what was going on. It took me a while to click what was happening. And then I videoed it as well. So I've got, you know, that if I put it up on Instagram, I'll show a video of it towards the end of that anyway. Um, so that happened. And and then the dancing girls arrived, all of these girls. And <laughs> they were all sat along this table. So I thought, are they going to come in here and start, like, doing pole dancing and dancing on the on the pool tables. Then bodyguards saw me filming and one of them put the hand up to tell me to stop filming. 
and I didn't, I carried on filming. Uh, so but, so as it, as it went along, the next thing is the police turned up, which was inevitable, really. But the bodyguards weren't intimidated by the... Oh, before the, the police arrived, actually, um, the top gangster in Mauritius, I can't remember his name, they did tell me, he arrived and was standing at the entrance to the bar restaurant where I was. And what happened is Viela, well, Raman, who's the bar manager, contacted Viela because she's away on holiday at the moment, told her. And she contacted this gangster guy to come and do the security just to look after the bar to make sure everything was all right. Not that he would have been able to do much, I don't think, with these uh, Russian bodyguards. But so he was there. And in the videos, anybody that's seen them, he's the guy in the white tracksuit stood right at the entrance to the place. Um, so he turned up and then the police came and the police were more intimidated than the gangster and the bodyguards than anything else. So there's no way anything was happening to this young fella. He's probably about 21. He was causing all the mayhem. And uh, the guys, the bodyguards, a couple of bodyguards got the young fella and the girls and they took them off and took them away. And then the police came in and then the bodyguards started. Oh, no, actually, before that happened, sorry, the guy went across and he paid everybody's bill in the restaurant on the opposite side of the road and paid the owner of the restaurant 3,000 euros just for like as a tip. He then came in and he paid the bill in the restaurant where I was, including my bill as well and everybody else's bill and gave them, I think it was a 1,000 euro tip in there. There was only three staff on and then paid for all of the, you know, the drinks and the damage and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know what the total figure was, but then when the police came, now the gangster was there with the police and the bodyguard and Raman. And Raman told the bodyguards they had to give him, I think it was 10,000 rupees, which was equivalent of 200 euros to pay the police off for their trouble. And they paid the police off and they they disappeared. And then um, the bodyguards gave Raman the money for all of the whiskey and the, the damage and all that sort of stuff. And then gave them a thousand euro tip for the three members of staff. But they kept, the gangster took 500 of the euros off them. So they only ended up with 500 euros between the three of them, which was still not bad. But having said that, they made more from grabbing the money on the streets, really. And I didn't make a penny because I was stupid because I spent the whole time filming rather than I should have been out on the streets diving around after the cash. But as Ali the Chief Smith will probably write in the stable news, the world famous tabloid running online magazine, that I don't need it, but which is not true. I wouldn't have minded a few hundred dollar bills. It'd be nice. But so I, I sent the, the videos to a few of the lads and uh, they were like, oh my God, they, you know, they could see like it was real and stuff like that. But then as General Puffball said, you know, what a sad scene. <clears throat> and again, it kind of was because it was funny. But for me, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. You know, all the people diving around in the middle of the road. It was like something out of a movie, like some crazy movie, like gangster thing. Um, like Scarface or something like that. And Robin Hood, really. Uh, Robin Hood's stealing off the rich and giving to the poor, but I think the gangsters steal off the poor and uh, keep it for themselves. But this guy's giving it back in a sort of a... I don't know what's what's the reason why, but it kind of opened up this little bit of a debate, really. And the local guys who were getting the money and that, they were laughing at it. They found it funny and they were they appreciated the money and stuff. But I suppose that's because of the position that they're in, as opposed to some sort of middle-class person who will look at this and frown upon it and say it's all bad and it's wrong and all of this sort of stuff and I kind of get that point of view as well but it's it's an interesting debate and uh and and it's carried on because what he's also done now I, I wasn't here so I didn't witness this he went to the McDonald's and as I said, said to you at the beginning uh, of the podcast that McDonald's is kind of important and this was yesterday and he bought all of the stock that was in the McDonald's and asked them to cook it all and paid for it all in front with extra money on top. Then went out into the car park with all the bodyguards and entourage and was giving all of the McDonald's stuff away and throwing money away again. I Now, I don't know how much money it was. And then on the same day, like yesterday evening, he went to Domino's and 
bought all the stock of pizzas and then was doing this exact same thing again, giving out all the pizzas and throwing money around and all this sort of stuff. He's, the lad's about 21 and he's off his head, you know, so it's kind of sad, even though he's super rich like that and money has no meaning, it's kind of sad you can just see how sad his life is. He's surrounded by prostitutes and dancing girls and things and you can see the bodyguard's frustration as well, you know, they don't like it when he's doing all of this because it puts their, you know, it makes their job really difficult being a bodyguard and have to watch somebody who's just crazy. And obviously, there's a, a father or some mafioso boss in here who's you know directing things and telling them to do this and to do that and look after him and everything. But I thought that's kind of interesting, really, you know, for um, this the first podcast from Mauritius, and it'll feed into my training because I'm getting out walking. I'm hopefully I've got a pair of night Pegasus. I'm hopefully going to start back getting a bit of running done because I've lost a good bit of weight over the last sort of three months as well. I think I'm nearly ready to have a second attempt at it. And we'll get into the, the follow-on with the pillars of the marathon in the next episode, which will be in two weeks' time. But for the competition, as I said, it's two weeks in Mauritius for two people and a pair of super shoes as well, which we've already given two pairs of super shoes away in two weeks in the Caribbean for two people. The question this week is, how much money did this young fella throw out in the street that I quoted earlier on? Uh, in You'd have to say in it, the total volume or the total amount combined in Mauritian rupees and uh, US dollars. Okay, that's the quiz question this week. Uh, hope you're all well. And again, apologies for the delay with the podcast, but it has been a little bit hectic with the move and things. And we'll be back on top with running only on the next podcast. So take care and I'll speak to you all soon.